3: To start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, I think we need to go ahead and get a vocabulary note out of the way for this podcast. Okay. We're going to say squirting.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes, that's accurate. We are. And we're not trying to be controversial or dirty or elicit giggles. Although if you giggle, we
3: can't hear you, so that's fine. Yeah, we kind of do like eliciting giggles when we can.
0: Yeah, but uh, no, we we are trying to lay out... Some, some biological, anatomical info. We're dropping some knowledge bombs on you today.
3: Yeah. And squirting is not just pornographic slang. This is a term used by scientists and doctors to actually distinguish squirting, as we'll go on to describe from female ejaculation. This is all part of the great squirting debate, as is the title of this podcast episode. So, mm-hmm. so folks are going to say squirting. I just wanna we just wanted to get that out of the way so that people understand why we are saying what some would probably think of as a controversial word. Yeah, but
0: ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed our clitoris episode last year, I think you're really going to enjoy this one too, because the whole thing about squirting and female ejaculation and orgasms and the female body and how scary and mysterious it is, uh, is that People have been fascinated with this topic for literally centuries. And it's interesting to see the development of the knowledge and the observations about women's bodies and then how it's like lost to history. It's like dust in the wind. And uh, and, and then we're, we're here now.
3: Yeah, this definitely feels like an epilogue to our cliteracy episode, which if you haven't listened to it, We'll finish listening to this and then listen <laughs> to that, which you can find over at StuffMomNeverToldYou.com. Just search "cliteracy." So, enough about cliteracy. Let's talk about ejaculation, Caroline. This is what we are here in the studio to do today. Let's to right. talk about female ejaculate. Mm-hmm. And is it ejaculate? <laughs> How many women ejaculate? Well,
0: um, what's interesting, I feel like a lot of people on the Internet and in the world argue about squirting versus female ejaculation and say that it's something you can learn, something that you should be doing in the bedroom. Um or and some people are saying, no, it's just porn or it's just made up or whatever. Yeah, some people are are really offended by it as yeah. well. But as reported by psychologist James Sherlock over at the Independent in January twenty fifteen Some 10 to 40 percent of women experience the involuntary emission of fluid ranging somewhere between 6 to 30 teaspoons, which... I find, to be an adorable measurement.
3: Yes, uh, uh, teaspoons, a, a proper little teaspoon measuring out ejaculate. Um, another conversion of that, 30 to 150 milliliters, if you prefer to think in milliliters as opposed to teaspoons. It's your choice. <laughs> we like to give our listeners choices. Um, and Sherlock points out that even though colloquially female ejaculation has is now known as squirting as well, a lot of times... Squirting, And we'll get more into this. And this is where the science of squirting comes in and why we are using this term squirting. Uh, squirting usually refers to, in the scientific lab, a larger amount of liquid coming out.
0: Right. Because, yeah, like you said, there is a difference. Um, but there are theories about what female ejaculate even is in the first place. And these theories have been around also for thousands of years up till today. And they include involuntarily urinating during and or after sex, or it's just hyper lubrication. Yeah, nobody's nobody put forth the theory that it's something completely uh, unique from either one of those.
3: Yeah. And like we've said, this idea, this observation, the existence of this fluid has been around for a long time. If you go back 2000 years ago, you'll find descriptions of female ejaculation in a lot of Taoist texts that talk about yin and yang and how female ejaculate or what's, what sounds a lot like female ejaculate is considered the yin chi essence because women contain the yin and the chi is sort of the balance of the yin and the yang and then combined is the yin chi essence, which I mean, they were really into it. Yeah. Well, we should
0: also point out that the yin was considered negative and passive and cold, whereas the yang essence was considered the more active, happy, gregarious extrovert.
3: That's and, and the guys have the yang. So right. semen is the yang, female ejaculate, the yin, and then you have the yin chi. And Caroline, can we now bring up the Taoist text Secret instructions concerning the Jade Chamber, which is essentially an old sex guide.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing and it will forever now be the name for my vagina, the Jade Chamber. The Jade Chamber? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I love it. But in, th- the Chinese wrote a lot about sex. They definitely didn't shy away from the topic. And in this particular text, they clearly distinguish between the quote, slippery vagina or the state of arousal and the genitals transmitting fluid.
3: Or historians think female ejaculation. And what's notable in these ancient Chinese texts, as well as Indian texts we'll mention in just a second, they describe female ejaculate not so much in terms of reproduction, the whole female sperm thing that we talked about in our clitoracy podcast that we'll talk about in more detail in just a moment, But rather in terms of pure sexual pleasure, and that this was a good thing, that the sign of the, quote, genitals transmitting fluid, which is the fifth sign of female arousal in the secret instructions (laughs) concerning the Jade Chamber, that that is good for you physically, mentally, and can lead to longevity. Not so much that, oh, well, she's transmitting this fluid. Time to make a baby. (laughs) That's right. But yes, speaking of India, the Kama
0: Sutra, with which I'm sure you guys are familiar, actually provides one of the earliest, quote, scientific investigations and basic physiological descriptions of this whole female ejaculation process. And yeah, like Kristen said, it was considered in these cultures to be just part of a, of a balanced breakfast, of a healthy life, and didn't have so much to do with a focus on reproduction. But when you get to ancient Greece, physicians mentioned female ejaculation in their studies as well but typically more in a reproductive context. If we look to Aristotle and Hippocrates, for instance, they did ponder the origins of female sperm and female discharge and what that meant for health and for reproduction.
3: Scholars aren't entirely sure whether Aristotle is referring more to female ejaculate or simply lubricate vaginal lubrication when he wrote quote there is a discharge from the uterus which occurs in some women but not in others it's found in those who are fair-skinned and of a feminine type generally but not those who are dark and of masculine appearance so do with that what you will Indeed.
0: And Hippocrates, meanwhile, thought that a child's sex could be partially determined by whether the woman emits her own strong or weak sperm in combination with her husband's strong or weak weak sperm though he didn't mention ejaculation specifically. But at this time, people definitely believed that women had their own semen going on because physicians really from ancient times up through the Renaissance figured that male and female reproductive organs were counterparts. They were essentially exactly the same. But women's were the lesser of the two because of size. And as an example, the term testes was used for both male and female organs because it was assumed that they
3: both produced semen. So our ovaries, in other words, would have been thought to have been our testes. They're Mm -hmm. just inside of us because the idea was that female genitalia was just male genitalia tucked up inside of us. Yeah. We just kind of had like reverse smaller penises and testicles.
0: Right. Exactly.
3: I don't know why I had to slow down penises.
0: (laughs) But yeah. I need to I need to charge your batteries. Yeah. The Kristen bot. Um, well, then we get to Galen, who's a huge name in early medicine and biology. Galen thought that women needed to reach orgasmic sexual pleasure in order to create their own ejaculated semen. This is what historians refer to as the two seed model. It's this idea of the female orgasm being necessary and critical and the thing is, even though these physicians believed more that semen and ejaculation had to do with reproductive stuff as opposed to just sexual pleasure, this idea that the female orgasm was critical basically
3: lasted up until the Victorians were like, "Ugh, ugh female sexuality, put it away. I mean, that's a pretty gentlemanly idea that Galen put forth, though. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, and, and that is actually something that is a common theme in these earlier texts, I mean, going back to ancient China and India, where there is a focus on women orgasming first in order for everything to work out as it should. Yeah, you got to get that essence. That's right. Get your essence. Um, and but, but there was also this idea, too, which sort of relates to hysteria, which we've talked about a lot on the podcast, the idea of the the wandering uterus, if you don't have a baby, but there's also concern over the buildup of female semen. That was one reason why uh, women orgasming was considered important so that we could then release our fluids so that, so that they didn't build up inside of us and make us crazy. Right. Like one widow that Galen observed
0: who was experiencing a lot of back pains and other aches and pains, which he believed was caused by a buildup of semen that could be remedied by a midwife rubbing her genitals. And, I mean, that overlaps completely with our clitorisy episode. Uh, I have a feeling that this is like a kinder, gentler version of the Victorian era where they were trying to use, like, giant mechanical vibrators to get women to
3: orgasm. And I also have a feeling they weren't as judgy. I'm just going to say that. Not as judgy as the Victorians? Yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's, it's not hard to be less judgy than the Victorians. <laughs> but before we get more into those judgy Victorians, we should pause
0: in the 17th century and applaud a Dutch gynecologist by the name of De Graaf, who provided the first actual scientific insight into this ejaculation issue. He was the first to suggest, and we'll explain this more, he was the first to suggest that the glands around a woman's urethra were equivalent to a man's prostate glands. He distinguished also between arousal-related lubrication and female ejaculation and said that that ejaculation fluid was from that female prostate. And this is wonderful. It's like, oh, my gosh, 1600s. We've got this science that is real. We have real science. Surely, surely we will continue in this vein.
3: In this vein. Yeah, well, speaking of veins... DeGraff described this lubricant as a serous juice, which will actually come up in modern medicine again, which he thought made women more libidinous with its quote pungency and saltiness oh. and lubricates their sexual parts in agreeable fashion during coitus. So he was onto something yeah. for sure. He was like, okay, all right, we're figuring out that there there is some internal anatomy that is uh, you know, creating this. Lubricant, this possible ejaculate. Mm-hmm. But then, let's fast forward to 1886, where we have a noted psychiatrist, Richard von Croft Ebbing, who said that women only ejaculated when they were weak-minded lesbians who had sex with other women. Hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, he's not, he's not big on the lesbians, or maybe he is big on the lesbians, and that's why he was so judgy and mean in his, in his paper.
3: It sounds like we we're trying to, uh, psychiatrize the psychiatrist. <laughs> and yes, are. I did just make up a word.
0: But then, around the same time, in the 1880s, we get a guy who builds off of the previous research of that Dutch gynecologist de Graaf. We get Alexander Skene, who discovered periurethral glands in women, and noted that they produced fluid. And it reminded physicians of the time of men's prostate gland. It's as if people had lived for 200 years and totally forgot what DeGraff had already
3: been like. Hey, hey, I've already done that. I've already I already pointed that out. And skein, though, received the eponymous recognition for that because these are now known as your skein's glands. Wouldn't that be cool to have a gland named after you, Caroline? It would. But we have so much more to talk about. The yeah. Skane's glands. We'll get to them in a minute. But
0: first, we have to talk about uh, psychologist Havelock Ellis, who in 1904, they're still trying to figure this stuff out. He proposed that female ejaculation was basically the same thing as semen. So he's like, he's just reading the stuff from the ancient Greeks. He also proposed that it came from the Bartholin glands, which are two pea-sized glands responsible for secreting mucus that lubricates the vagina. So... He's basically saying things that we've heard already, that it's female, female ejaculation is equivalent to male ejaculation, and that it's there just to lubricate. But, other people disagreed. But then we get to 1904, and psychologist Havelock Ellis proposed that female ejaculation came from the Bartholin glands, which are two pea-sized glands responsible for secreting mucus that lubricates the vagina. So basically Ellis is saying like, Hey, they might ejaculate the stuff or or have the certain discharge, but it's it's mainly for lubrication purposes.
3: Yeah, it's all the same thing. We should point out that by now, the reproductive potential of uh, this fluid, whatever it might be, had been dismissed thanks to microscopes and the realization that women don't produce female sperm, that whole two seed model that Galen came up with a long, long time ago that had been disproven. So once we're in the 20th century, now it comes down to that. The great squirting debate has now boiled down to, well, where does it come from? And is it the same as vaginal lubricant? Are we all is this all just different names for the same thing? And then in 1950, a guy named Ernest Grafenberg comes along. And if Grafenberg rings a bell, it's probably because he is the G in G-spot. He disagreed with Ellis. He said, female ejaculation has little to do with lubrication. He said, no, 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 this is a separate fluid altogether. And why did he say this? Well, he observed women masturbating and noticed... That ejaculation occurred more frequently with the palpitation of an erogenous zone on the front wall of the vagina near the urethra. This is known as your urethral sponge or more colloquially as the G-spot. And we should point out that Grafenberg
0: didn't name the G-spot after himself. That name came much later, although how awesome would that be if he's like, I'm putting a flag in this. I'm calling it, I'm naming it after myself. This is a Gravenberg spot, drop the <laughs> mic, I'm out. Um, but so anyway, key to his observation was the fact that this emission that he noticed happened during the orgasm, at the apex of the orgasm and after, not before. So it wasn't, yes, women's vaginas became lubricated before and during sex, but this particular emission that he was observing did not have to do with lubrication. It was happening after orgasm and during orgasm. So his answer was that female ejaculation was a secretion from the intraurethral glands located underneath the G-spot, not urine, which was the
3: leading alternative hypothesis at the time. And is going to come back again, but not before the 50s and 60s, when interestingly, both Alfred Kinsey and Masters and Johnson dismissed female ejaculation as just extra vaginal lubrication. They're like, no, this extra thing is not happening. It's all just the same thing, which puts us back at square one. And then finally, though, in 1982, researchers for the very first time are like, hey, why don't we apply some rigorous science to this? And they perform a chemical analysis of female ejaculate. And what do they find, Caroline? We have sperm after all. No. <laughs> It demonstrated a clear difference between the liquid excreted during orgasm and urine. Yeah, and so at this point, researchers
0: are putting forth the notion that female ejaculate originates from where, ladies and gentlemen? The skein's glands. So, you know, the stuff that was being discussed back in the 1600s, basically.
3: Yeah, and so they're saying, okay, well, these glands are just the equivalent to a female prostate. It's the same cells that when we're in utero will develop into the male prostate, depending on your chromosomal makeup. And they're made of similar tissues also in women, but some say that they're, quote, dead-end cells or vestiges of our embryonic days. Yeah, there was a lot of dismissal
0: going on, like, eh, Why do we care if women have these little glands or tissues or whatever? It's not like they're doing anything like helping you reproduce. But we
3: clearly care so much because the entire history of the the medical history of female ejaculation, the medical history of the clitoris, everything that we know has been a constant search for like homologous anatomy between men and women. It's essentially Mm -hmm. looking at male anatomy and then figuring out, okay, what inside women matches This, Mm -hmm. So they dismiss it, and yet they still use the same logic to try to figure it out, which doesn't seem to make much sense, especially considering that these are scientists. Right. Well, speaking of all of those scientists, when
0: we're in the late 80s and early 90s, there are a lot of studies that happen that back up this difference between female ejaculate and lubrication and urine, in addition to confirming the fact that, yes, women do have Ejaculate. So we get pathologist Milan Zaviacic, who is a big name in this research. He and his team found that both the male and the female prostate, quote, release their contents via an ejaculatory mechanism and continual resting secretions. And then around this time, several studies demonstrated that female ejaculate contained a lot more of this thing called prostatic acid Phosphatase, which is a chemical secreted by the prostate gland and is found in semen and a lot less urea than the subject's urine. So what does this mean? It helped women understand basically that they weren't experiencing incontinence during and after sex and that this emission is a normal phenomenon. Of course, women who do struggle with incontinence, that's a thing. But they're saying that this squirting, this female ejaculation is not wetting the bed. You are not experiencing incontinence, and it's a part of normal sexual activity for a lot of
3: people. And in addition to that prostatic acid phosphatase, fructose had also been identified around this time in female ejaculate, which previously was thought to be present only in male ejaculate as an energy source to help sperm move along in their epic journey, usually to death. (laughs) But of course, there were question marks about the function of That fructose, is it to move sperm along? Because at the same time, there have also been theories that perhaps this ejaculate actually creates more of an acidic and inhospitable environment for sperm, serving as another kind of, quote-unquote, natural birth control for women, because there is no reproductive purpose to it. Maybe it is tied solely to female sexual pleasure, But
0: after all this research, in 1993, Zavia and neurophysiologist Beverly Whipple, who, by the way, was one of the researchers who gave the G-spot the G, named it after Grafenberg, they still were not sure what the connections were between this female prostate that they'd they'd been researching, the now-named G-spot, and female ejaculation. But Zaviatrick's name does not go away, as we'll see in just a second. But if we move up past the 90s into the more modern era, we have figured out a few more things, although there are still a lot of mysteries and confusion and controversy almost surrounding the female orgasm. So researchers have figured out that the prostate being fully formed in men doesn't necessarily have a fully formed female equivalent. So our skein's glands aren't always Fully developed. Some have large skeins glands, some don't. Some seem to lack them completely. And scientists think that this variation among women might be, maybe, why some women experience G-spot orgasms and
3: ejaculation, while others don't. Well, in addition to the variation in size with the skeins glands or female prostate, there's also variation in size in terms of your urethral sponge and the kinds of erectile tissues in your internal clitoris that may or may not influence uh, the likelihood of so-called G-spot orgasms. Um, but Zaviacek said, when it comes to the Skein's glands, we should just call them the female prostate. He thinks that they are alike enough that that's what it should be. And in fact, in 2002, the Federative International Committee on Anatomical Terminology officially renamed Skene's glands the prostate, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but again, again, it is this pursuit of homologous anatomy, which befuddles me a little bit because, um, especially if we just call it the female prostate to disambiguate from the prostate, which just makes the male body normative and the female body, the exception. But <laughs> that's another conversation for another time. Um, regardless of the name Every healthy dude with a prostate produces prostate fluid, but only a fraction, again, that 10 to 40 percent of women ejaculate as far as anyone can tell. So it's like the more we learn, the more questions we have. And a lot of it seems to come down to semantics of like, what do we call this thing? Rather than just saying, "Okay, well, we know this happens, right? But
0: we'll get more into our continuing, our ongoing fascination with female ejaculation and the issue of squirting and what is or is not squirting when we come right back from a quick break. Can I rant for a sec, please?
2: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure.
3: To start planning your trip, visit TNVacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And now back to the show. So in the first half of the podcast, we charted the medical History of female ejaculate, and I want to cite this uh, paper that we drew from published in the journal Sexual Medicine History in 2010 to kick off the second half um, in which the author writes, quote, this article aims to demonstrate that the phenomenon of female ejaculation has been discovered, described and forgotten in Eastern and Western culture repeatedly over the last 2000 years. And where does that leave us in 2015? Still with questions, still with a great squirting debate, not only about its physiology but also about its propriety.
0: Yeah. So uh, if you've been paying attention to the news the past several months, you might remember that the UK banned squirting in porn. I mean, you can still watch it. Obviously, you can still access it on the Internet or wherever you get your porn, but it just can't be produced in the UK. They also banned, by the way, strangulation, which, okay, I, I guess I can see spanking. And face sitting. So this, this was all part of that, those
3: face sitting demonstrations that were going on in England a while back. And the reason why squirting porn was banned was because they thought that it looked too much like pee porn essentially.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, squirting was basically fine when it was considered to be just a sexual response and something that happens to bodies during sex. Um, but once the question of like, oh, is it urine? Well, wait, that's obscene. Once that came up, then that's when the ban was set. But it's funny because, yeah, like the writer said, we have 2,000 years of studying what female ejaculation is and is not... But we still haven't gotten to a point where we're comfortable defining it. And so then we get this new study in December 2014, which sort of like, I know we joked about Kim Kardashian breaking
3: the Internet, but this study like blew the Internet up. Yeah, the, it was published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine and it was called The Nature and Origin of Squirting in Female Sexuality. So, yes, squirting is in a study title published in a respected journal, hence its use in this podcast. Um, and It was conducted by these researchers in France, and what they did was get seven. So keep this in mind, pretty small sample size. But they brought seven women who had self-reported ejaculation into a lab to see, okay, once and for all, are you ladies just incontinent during orgasm or not? And initially, they had them come in, empty their bladders, and even they even scanned the bladders to make sure, okay, there's nothing in them. All right. All right. And then what happened, Caroline?
0: (laughs) Well, at this point, they begin sexual stimulation, either with a partner or by themselves. But then they stop to undergo another ultrasound to examine what's going on with their bladders. At this point, they determine that there's a little fluid in the bladder. They're released to go back to sexual stimulation. Once they achieve orgasm and experience ejaculation, the researchers collected a sample of that fluid and then performed another ultrasound. What did they find? Well, that fluid that midway through had been detected in the bladder after starting and then stopping sexual stimulation was gone. So the outcome was basically that among two of the seven women went, once they performed this biochemical analysis of the fluid, it was just urine. Sad trombone noise.
3: Yeah, and we should note, too, that these were women who said that not only did they ejaculate, but usually they would squirt about a glass of water's worth of fluid during orgasm. Yeah. And this also leads to this proposed distinction between female ejaculate, which is, like, a little bit, and squirting, which is a lot of it.
0: Right. And so for the other five of seven women, this is coming from that article in The Independent that we cited earlier, the biochemical analysis showed that while the fluid was mostly urine, it also contained a prostate-specific androgen originating from the skein's glands. And the authors concluded that these results support their hypothesis that female ejaculation is an involuntary urine emission. They said that the presence of that prostate-specific androgen, though, was ruled to be... The residue of true female ejaculation
2: due
3: to mechanical stimulation of the G-spot. But you also have to wonder, with this kind of study set up, too, how how authentic almost the results are. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that we didn't note was that for this whole process of women uh, having an orgasm, it took around an hour too. And yeah. also having to stop in the middle, go get your bladder scanned and then come back. Not the most arousing setup yeah. as well. So who knows whether if this were happening at home and they took the dainty little teaspoons and collected some <laughs> and then took it to a lab, whether perhaps maybe there would be more prostate specific androgen and, and less urea. And also, does it really matter? Um, because the, the unfortunate thing about this study and its results being published in a very internet fashion as oh, ha, 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 women are just peeing themselves in bed. Th- that really didn't help the situation at all, because now we're still left with the question of, well, is squirting the same thing as female ejaculation? Because in 2011, there was a study published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine, which, by the way, if you want to know about female ejaculation, get yourself a subscription to the Journal of <laughs> Sexual Medicine. Um Researchers, though, performed biochemical studies on that fluid expelled during orgasm that also do line up with those recent findings from the French study. And the authors wrote, quote, the clear and abundant fluid that is ejected in gushes, parentheses, squirting, is different from real female ejaculation. And I got to say, Caroline, whenever I hear things like real female like, real this or real that. It's like, well, oh, okay. All right. Tell me more. What is real? What is not? Yeah. So people are
0: definitely working hard to distinguish the true, mysterious, fascinating female ejaculation. They really want to pinpoint it. And old Beverly Whipple, the, she, the namer of the G spot, told the publication New Scientist that she thinks that the discovery, the, quote-unquote discovery, means that female ejaculation should only be used as a term to refer to the small amount of fluid that is produced by those periurethral glands in a woman and not squirting.
3: Right, because in that 2011 study, they distinguished that, quote, real female ejaculation as scanty, thick, and whitish fluid, whereas squirting a lot of times is clear fluid. It does look, aside from not having a yellowish tint, it does look like like clear urine. Yeah, and they're
0: saying that true ejaculation is from the female prostate, and squirting is just
3: fluid from the bladder. And not surprisingly, though, this question of whether there is a true ejaculation, whether there is really a difference between squirting and female ejaculate got a lot of people talking, Um. Because as Haley McMillan pointed out over at Refinery29, this is a rather androcentric conversation because what these scientists are looking for in terms of true female ejaculation is the presence of things like the fructose, like that prostatic acid that you find in semen,
0: mm-hmm.
3: which is all fine, well and good. But at the same time, it's like, well... Do we necessarily need to have a, a tit for tat, so to speak?
0: <laughs> yeah, because she, yeah, she's basically saying that the way researchers are going about this is trying to define true female ejaculation by the presence of an enzyme that characterizes male ejaculation. And she says it's the, it's part of the same movement to call the clitoris a female penis and that, hey, why can't women have a thing that is of women, why does it have to be defined in terms of what is male or n- not male?
3: Yeah, and also when it comes to uh, a question of do women ejaculate, why not just take women who experience this phenomenon at their word? This was something uh, written about in a column for The Guardian by Lux Alpatrom, who herself experiences ejaculation when she orgasms, sometimes, not every time. Um, and that's the thing also about it, where it can be a bit elusive because if it happens once, it doesn't necessarily happen every time. Um, but she wrote, quote, female ejaculators know firsthand that even if the fluid they emit during an orgasm comes from the bladder, it looks, smells, and feels different from urine. And also, she goes on to say, regardless of the biological basis of female ejaculation, the physical appearance is, at its heart, a pure expression of, of female sexual pleasure. Yeah, and this leads her to talk about the
0: UK's ban on squirting in porn, talking about how since porn is this visual medium, if you're banning squirting, you are banning a very female expression of not only orgasm, but just of pleasure and sexual excitement.
3: Yeah, and it's stigmatizing it too as well. And there have been interview studies conducted among women who ejaculate who report shame Around ejaculate because either their partners think that they're peeing on them and don't appreciate it, or they think that they're incontinent and feel embarrassed for that. And so for that reason, they don't seek out sexual pleasure for fear of doing it. And it's this legal battle has not only taken place, though, in the UK, there have also been (laughs) obscenity cases in the United States as well. And we found a recent article published in the Texas Journal of Women in the Law, which has... One of my favorite <laughs> titles ever. Obscene squirting. If the government thinks it's urine, they've got another thing coming. Love it. Yes. And uh, the author points out, though, how men's ejaculation, not considered obscene, which, quote, quote, clearly dehumanizes the female body in a hateful way. And there was another uh, quote that I wanted to pull from it, um, which said scientists and pornographers agree. Ejaculation is a natural response to sexual stimulation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely don't agree with it being banned in porn, especially because when it comes to ejaculate and things that are okay, there are still, uh, what would be considered far more degrading acts that are fine to film when it comes to how and where men can ejaculate.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, one thing we haven't brought up though is like, Okay, so there is squirting, there is female ejaculation, people do this, people enjoy it. But then there was this writer over at Feministing that brought up the point, this was back in 2009, of like, well, yeah, but I also don't like that men are basing their idea of their own virility and masculinity around whether a woman is squirting or not.
3: Well, okay, so here's the thing. I was thinking about that, and um, I have a feeling that uh, it's it's only some men and this probably goes for women who have sex with women as well, mm-hmm. where there's going to be a fascination with the whole thing, too, because I think the the obsession with it in a sexual sense is that it's, quote unquote, legit proof that a female orgasm has happened because, you know, men like they have physical evidence of it, mm-hmm. whereas women not so much. So that kind of obsession makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. But by the same token, too, anecdotally, I will say that I have known women who are similarly proud of their ability to squirt as a display of maybe not their virility, but their sexual prowess, too. So it's it definitely adds an interesting performative element, let's say, to Sex.
0: Yeah. And that writer, uh, the psychologist who was writing over at The Independent that we've cited a couple times, basically closes out his article about that December 2014 French study by saying, like, listen, this is an enriching part of a lot of people's sexual lives and relationships. And nobody's getting hurt. Uh, You know, let's not make this a big controversial issue. And some people do it. Some people don't. It's part of people's sexual lives. Let's not get all up in arms about it. Yeah.
3: And I mean, it's just it's so fascinating to me that this scientific debate persists like the the French study, I don't think really settled anything. I don't think anyone was really fully satisfied with those results, but I don't know at this point what will satisfy us. What will satisfy me is if like women or anyone who has a vagina who ejaculates like, okay, that's fine. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of your sexual response. No need for to be ashamed by it embrace it. You do you. That's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Which might sound pretty lackadaisical, but we're pretty lackadaisical when it comes to men ejaculating, you know, like, um, I think if anything, what should be settled is the stigma that some and shame that some feel Mm -hmm. about it. Um, yeah,
0: whether, whether you're being made to feel shame for doing it or for not doing it. Exactly.
3: Yeah. I mean, because of the interesting thing, we, the one statistic we didn't cite was that at least in Australia, we don't have US statistics, but it's the third most popular porn search. So people are clearly intrigued by this thing, mm-hmm. this capacity some people have. Um, yeah, I think it's.
1: Snag a job is where America goes to hire
2: Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure.
3: To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee
2: sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life.
3: PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865.
2: Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association member FDIC.
3: I I just want to hear from listeners now. Listeners, can you settle this great squirting debate for us? Has it influenced uh, your sex life at all? MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com is our email address. You can also tweet us if you want at podcast or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of letters to read to you that have nothing to do with ejaculation right now. So I've got a letter here from Mackenzie about our Women in Comics two-parter. And she wrote, I'm listening to part two of your Women in Comics podcast, where you, Kristen, talk about being too intimidated to go into a comic store as a teen reminded me of my early years as a girl comic book fan. When I was 11 or 12, I was a welfare food stamps kid living in a poor neighborhood in an otherwise affluent city. I was teased and bullied a lot with a few friends, and I later came to realize I was deeply depressed. About a mile down the street, there was a comic book store I was allowed to visit without supervision. I had been introduced to comics by my dad just a few years before, but I didn't live with him full time, so the store was my main outlet for comics geekery. I went several times a week just to kill time, thumbing through old back issues of Uncanny X-Men and Fantastic Four from the 80s. These only cost a few bucks each, so I could afford to buy some every now and then. The female clerk, Scarlett, who may have been the co-owner of the store, must have realized I desperately needed whatever breaks life would deal me. She never charged me tax and would sometimes even throw in a few issues for free. This helped stretch my money to buy more comics, and I was always thrilled to see her at the register. I'm actually in tears right now remembering this and how much her small kindness meant to me during a time when I really needed them. Her store changed hands over the years, and I was never able to thank her. But I still have all those comics she sold me, and emotionally those storylines mean more to me than any others, and I've read thousands of comics over my years as a fan. There may not be a ton of women working in comic stores, but Scarlett did, and she made a difference to me. Ladies helping ladies, I guess. So thanks, Mackenzie. And Scarlett. I have
0: a letter here from Pamela about our astronomy episodes. She says, I've been a long time listener to your podcast, which I adore. I love sharing the podcast with my sons about the amazing things women can and have done. This week, your podcast on the women in astronomy was especially fascinating. I attended Agnes Scott College in Decatur, Georgia. One of my classmates was Amy Lavelle. Amy is now an associate of the physics and astronomy department at our alma mater. I believe she has even served as the chair of her department in the past. Agnes Scott has always served as a beacon for women to aspire to all fields, and Amy's return to the incredible facilities our college provides for women warms my heart. Amy's been an amazing woman in science since her undergrad years, including publishing papers and peer-reviewed publications as an undergraduate. I remember her enthusiasm for her field from our earliest interactions as first-year students. She continues to reach out to encourage other women and girls to aspire to STEM fields. As our 25th reunion approaches, I believe Amy would easily merit a mention in your podcast as a leader among women and astronomy. Thank you for the always enjoyable and enlightening podcast you produce every week. And thank
3: you, Pamela, for writing in. And thanks to everybody who's written to us. Mom Stuff at is our email address. And for links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, including this one with sources. If you want to learn more about the science of female ejaculation, head on over to stuff mom never told you.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit housestuffworks.com.